see some visitors here that we don't always see, and we want you to know that you are welcome. And we really don't even have the authority to say that you are welcome except by the Spirit of God. Because the thing that makes all of us welcome is to come in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And so we are so thankful just to be together. I, <clears throat> I don't know about all of you, but this has been a painful week. Actually, there's been about three weeks now that seemed like, first it was Seattle, and Minneapolis, and Boston, and Portland, Oregon. See all those rioters starting fires, breaking windows. What do they want? What do they want? Well, they want to defund the police. They want reparations. Um, they want a correction for violence that has been done in the past. A lot of them are just plain unhappy, angry people. I don't know how that does to you. I, I hurt for them. And I, I just, what I would really like to do, and I know that unless the Lord opened the door, this would be impossible, but I'd like to tell them about reparations. Do you know where mine was? It was at the cross. Jesus paid all my past. And what I think about when I see what's happening is all these people have lost hope. And they're frustrated and they're chaotic and they're unhappy. And I'd like to tell them there is a hope. There is one that loves them and can fix it all. And he will in his time. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to the second Thessalonians, the second chapter. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And there's a reason why I'm going to read this chapter this morning. When we think about the church at Thessalonica that Paul wrote to, there was a reason that he wrote to it. The church had been established. It was a good church had many, many things going for it, but somehow in the midst of all of it, they got confused about the coming, the second coming of Jesus. And some of them thought that Jesus had come and they, they were being told that they had actually missed his coming and there was a lot of desperation that was there. There were others that thought he hadn't come but wasn't sure how he was going to come and it was just, and Apostle Paul looked at that situation and he says, you know what, I'm putting my own words here. But I, said, I think he looked at it and he said, this confusion can lead to chaos. And chaos will lead to things that are not good. That's what we're seeing today, by the way. Confusion leads to chaos and chaos leads to destruction. And destruction leads to lost lives. And that's the reason we see property destroyed and, and people wounded and hurt and killed is because... There is confusion, and confusion, the author of that, is the devil himself. So Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he wants to encourage them. And I want to tell you, brother and sister, the really neat thing about being together 
today is that we are centered around a message. This book and the Lord of this book that is the only hope for the human family and ever will be. And so I want to read this chapter to you because Paul wants to bless them and wants to encourage them. And you know what? In the mess we're in, all the rioting and all of the coronavirus and everything is, as we heard read in the opening this morning, is just a drop in the bucket. It is nothing compared to our Lord and what he has done and is going to do for us. So let's read this second chapter of 2 Thessalonica, Thessalonians together. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's the reason we're here this morning. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is at hand. There was apparently letters that had gone out and they said they were from Paul and he hadn't sent them out. You think there's any deception or falsehoods being sent out today? Um, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We haven't seen that yet. But we can see the spirit of it, can't we? Someone is going to raise up and declare to be God that is not God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they may be saved. This is what's happening now when the Holy Spirit is still restraining, but when he is removed, it's going to get terrible and in a hurry. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. This morning, this morning, think about it. If you believe the truth this morning, God is going to sanctify your soul. He is going to purify it. He's gonna lead it in the way of holiness. And everything that's happening will not have an eternal effect upon us. We're, we're in a, we're in a, unbelievably wonderful spot this morning just indescribable really wherefore unto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our lord jesus christ therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which we have been taught whether by word or our epistle now our lord jesus christ himself and god even our father 
which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I, I want you to notice the word, and he says to stand fast and hold the traditions. And really, I, I'd like to kind of conclude with this thought. I wonder what, I, what you would say if I'd ask you, uh, what do you think about traditions? <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? Because um, I can think of some traditions that I, I'm really not interested in. I'm just going to tell you one. I, I don't mean this offensive. I'm not trying to be to anybody or any group or anything. But one day where I was worshiping, uh, and I was a young minister, and I was wearing my black hat everywhere, and, and I heard an older brother say, oh, Phil's such a good brother, he wears his black hat. And I, somehow that triggered it in me. I don't want to be known for that. In fact, I, I started to study the scripture, and I decided that a religious covering on a man isn't even consistent. My point is that probably in every group, maybe in every family, there may be some traditions that aren't real wholesome. We're, we're turned that way. We need to be careful. But there are other traditions. If I would say uh, Thanksgiving meal, some of you would immediately trigger emotions in your, with your companion or your mother or grandmother or whatever. You're going to get together and you're going to have this wonderful meal and you'd think about all the turkey and dressing. And that's a tradition in your family that you always get together, and that'd be wonderful. So in Colossians, the second chapter, the apostle warns us about the traditions of men that we trust in for salvation. But here he says, 15th verse, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught. What are they? They're the gospel. They're the message of Jesus. It's the power of the word and the Holy Spirit. And so I look around this morning and I realize that those people that are rioting and everything, it, it kind of triggered something in me. I don't know if I can explain this. On one side, they were rejecting every tradition. They only want any monuments. They don't want the history of the United States taught at all. They want it obliterated. I was sitting there thinking about that. Um, I wish they had a foundation that they were standing on, a tradition that they would love. Do you know what happens when we throw out all tradition? We lose an anchor for our soul. We need to be careful. And so this morning, I trust that we are gathered, and we are gathered this morning because we have that eternal hope, because there is an anchor for the soul in the Word of God, because maybe somebody's here this morning, and I don't know what Brother Clem's message is, but maybe someone is here this morning, and they're on a journey. They have never given their heart to Jesus, but they're here. Whoever you are, God bless you. Because what we are here for this morning is an eternal hope. And we don't need to riot. We don't need to destroy businesses. We don't need to curse the government. 
We need to come to Jesus. That's the answer. Got one more thing. I'm going to um, go to prayer here in just a little bit. Um, I have made the statement that this coronavirus is its like most of the flus have come and gone and it's just been politicized and so forth. And there's a degree of that which is true, but there's one thing that's different. It's not completely true. And it really has struck me recently. There's so many people who have died from it. Not unlike past things, but the difference is They've died alone. There isn't grandchildren gathered around the bedside. And I've actually wondered if there are a lot more people who have passed away because no one was there that they loved to encourage them. And their spirit just dies inside. And it occurred to me that I have not been praying about that very thing. That there are people, beautiful people, who are suffering and the coronavirus is not the deadly thing. It's that we have isolated them. You and I aren't in that situation this morning. So as we go to prayer, I'm going to suggest, Mike, I'm going to call on you to pray. I'm going to suggest that's one thing I'd like for all of us privately, Michael, pray verbally, but to pray. Maybe you know someone who is really serious. Maybe they're just in the hospital. It's not even coronavirus, and they won't let you go in. God help us. I just, I just pray that the Spirit of God will break through it. If it's a believer, we can pray that they would be encouraged and lifted up and that Spirit would get a hold of them. And if they aren't, that that Spirit would call them. Somehow, some way, the Spirit of God would work powerfully. What are your prayer requests this morning? Ned. Okay. Is there a change in this, his situation? Or? No, just that he doesn't, probably doesn't receive very many visitors. Phone calls, things like that, just like what you were just saying. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Jerry Garber, thank you. Yes. Yes, that is true. They don't want visitors, but we, he does like to talk to you. We need to. He can read. That's true. Right. Yes, he can. He does a lot better. So let's remember to give Jerry an encouraging call, and to pray for him. What else? Yes. Okay, it's uh, Cheryl Kaufman's grandson. What's his name? Jace. Jace. Okay. Okay, and he—it's a baby, and he's has health issues. All right. Thank you. I'm trying to repeat this so that the people who are listening get it. That's one thing that we've found out is that people listen and they don't know what the prayer requests are. Anyone else? 
Okay, let's Brad and Crystal pray that they can make their flight here this week and come back to the States. And Brother Mike, I'm sorry, one more. Okay, who can't see out of her eyes? Cousin Peyton, okay, four years old and having eye problems, but she goes to the doctor, so we need to pray for her. Thank you. Okay, Mike. Morning, turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> A while back, I watched an eagle who was sitting along the road a couple miles from my house, and we drove by, and it spread out its huge wings and began to fly. And as soon as it lifted off from the ground, these two blackbirds came darting out of the woods and just started pestering it. And it soared up a little ways, and I... We stopped and went back to try to get a better look at it, and it landed in a branch in the tree there by the woods, and the birds disappeared, the blackbirds. And I got out to try to take a picture of him and got one. This isn't mine. But, um, and he, then he took off again, flying through the woods with those big old wings. And as soon as he took off again, they were right after him. I was reminded of that. Friday, as I was looking out my window, at the top of my grain bin, there sat a hawk. And he was sitting there looking for his lunch. He was looking intently. And pretty soon, here it come. It's two blackbirds. And they started, he was just sitting there. He wasn't flying. And they just would go, they'd go right at him, and then they'd veer off, just pestering him. I had to think about my life, how sometimes I'm just trying to do my job, I'm trying to do life, I'm trying to do the right thing, and there are annoyances and there are disturbances and there are distractions that seem to hammer at us from all sides. You know, as that hawk sat there, he, uh, I don't know if he was ever getting hit or not, but sometimes he would jerk his head. They, would, they were flying right towards him, and, and he would move his head. Many times they're not big things, they're small things. The size of a blackbird compared to an eagle, there's really no comparison, is there? 
And what harm can come from a blackbird to an eagle? You know, the truth of the matter is, as a child of God, it's kind of the same way. Those annoyances and disturbances and frustrations in life, if I'm living in the power and the strength of God, He makes us like an eagle. And yes, sometimes they're going to run into us and sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes they're big. But just how much damage can they do if we're a child of God? We can say with the Hebrew writer and the psalmist, my, God is my strength. I will not fear what man may do to me. And so the people in the situations and the lies and the ridicules, no matter how intimidating they seem, have no power over the child of God. But you know what the cool thing is? is sometimes that eagle just has to look up. Because I've been told that an eagle, if he flies higher, he can get higher than a blackbird can fly. And so that eagle soars up into the sky and the blackbird has to give up. You know, can we soar? Can we live above the blackbirds? No, can't live there. But can you get there? Yeah. And that's what that eagle has to do. And he goes up for a while, and they disappear, and they go on. And I just believe that you and I, sometimes we need to look up. The Bible speaks of looking up from whence comes your help. And sometimes we need to gain that higher perspective because you know as you get higher, earth gets smaller, the problems get smaller, sometimes those blackbirds can even disappear. These are times of inspiration, times of strength, times of refreshing in our lives and we all need them and I believe that we all experience them from time to time. But sometimes we need to look up just a little more often. The Bible says that we're going to have these trials and these sufferings. And we're going to talk about that today. But Isaiah says those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. You will rise above these trials and these sufferings. You can walk and not be weary. You can run and not faint. Or the other way around there. But, you know, we can't stay above the clouds. But we need to gain that perspective. And here in in verse 9, we're going to begin, I'm sorry, verse 7 this morning. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. And we read about that in Thessalonians already. Be ye therefore sober, be therefore of a sound mind. And watch into prayer. And it speaks of watching and praying over and over in the scriptures. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. Watch and pray. And I encourage us this morning to be watching with the intensity of an eagle. 
as he's looking for his lunch. It's not for our lunch. We know that. But what are we looking for? We can be looking for danger. We can be looking for ways of caring for others and ultimately looking for the return of Christ. The end of all things is at hand. Verse 8, but above all things, we covered this last time we spoke, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. He calls us here to love, to love with the love that we have received from Christ, to love intensely, to love deeply, to look into people's eyes and care for them. All people's eyes have fervent love. And then we get to verse 9. That's where we left off last time. And it's just this real short verse. Use hospitality without grudging. How you doing? At that. Men, how are you doing? Use hospitality without grudging. You know, I don't believe this is talking about entertaining your friends and your family. It's not talking about having your house perfect and your meal perfect and kind of making things about you as you impress the people in your home. This word speaks of something less planned, something more impromptu. Something less convenient, something more awkward, something more disruptive, something less about you and more about others. Hospitality. For definition this morning, hospitality is, a, is friendly, welcoming behavior towards guests or people you have just met. It is the act of providing for people who have a need. I think it's often easy to believe that we're hospitable because we, we have people into our homes. And oftentimes it's, it's our friends and it's our families. And maybe they're there a lot. But I don't believe that's fulfilling verse 9. I think it's more. Jesus said these words in Luke and I believe he's talking about hospitality when he said when you make a dinner or a supper don't call your friends or your brethren or your family or your rich neighbors how you doing who have you had lately lest recompense be lest they bid thee again, I'm sorry, and recompense be made thee. But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. How many of those have you had lately to your feasts? And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. This is Jesus talking about hospitality.
It's something that we're called to do cheerfully, to do willingly, to do 100%, to do without grudging. And it's not always what our natural man wants to do. Sometimes it means that someone needs you to listen to them. Sometimes they need a place to stay. Sometimes they need a meal or several meals. Sometimes they just need invited to your house just to sit. And it's not just sometimes, it's anytime, it's all the time. Hospitality. Sometimes it's inconvenient times. I mean, you've experienced that, an opportunity to engage with someone, but you had something else planned. It's friendly, welcoming behavior. It's the act of providing for someone with a need. And it bleeds into different areas. It, we think of it as being in our homes and, and probably to a large degree it should be. But it can, it can be taking meals to someone else. It can be visiting someone else. It could be, as Mark encouraged us last Saturday, sending a card to Sam. And some of you need to do that this week. And some of you, some of you have this gift. And to a large degree, I mean, and most, a lot of us know the ones among us who have the gift of hospitality. It's a gift of the Spirit. Romans 12 speaks of it. And I would suggest to you this morning, though, to view this as, as a pie. It's not that you have the gift and you don't have the gift, but that we've all got the whole pie and there's different slices and maybe we've got bigger pieces of one than another, but we're all called to be able to, to give and to share and to use the gifts of the Spirit in different points in our life to some degree or another. As you read through Romans 12, you can, through the power of Christ, give those gifts so don't use it as an excuse that, that that's not your gift. <clears throat> Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I use the English Standard Version because the King James says, Entertain strangers, which I just told you it's not entertaining. But I wanted to show you the, another interpretation of that is a more correct for our understanding this morning, hospitality to strangers to strangers. It's not about making angels laugh. So <clears throat> verse 10, let's move on. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, I believe he's talking about um, hospitality here that he just spoke of in verse 9. This can be used on, in any gift. As you have received it, so minister the same to others. As a good steward of the grace of God. If any man speak, he goes on in verse 11, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I would just say to this verse that if you're going to speak, speak from the word of God. If you're going to minister, do it with the ability that God gave you. Don't, don't preach your own opinions and don't 
Don't minister to others of your own strength and ability. We must speak words of life and truth from God's word and not from opinion. And in these times of ministering, when we get tired, when we don't have what it takes, and when we don't know what to say or what to do next, it must be with the ability that God gives. It must be crying out to Him, God, give me the ability to do this. So that it's about Him and not about us. <clears throat> We're going to have to keep moving here. Verses 12 through 19. I wanted to get through the end of the chapter here today. I think we'll, we'll briefly read these. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. He says here in verse 12, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange when you experience trials and suffering. Like, don't be surprised. Like, you can expect it. You can, you can plan for it. It's kind of like planning, I don't know, some people are just eternally optimistic, and, and I'm not that way. I, would, I like to think of myself as a realist instead of a pessimist, but, but I expect for problems to arise, and I expect to have to be flexible and have to change my plans, and not all of you are that way. And, but this is what he's telling us here. He's saying you can, you can know that this is going to come. Don't just don't let it devastate you when when you face trials and and strange things. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Then he goes on in verse 14. He speaks of being reproached for Christ. And then at the end of that verse, it says that you will glorify God. And that's the goal, as Mike prayed. That it's about you bringing God glory. And we're aware of how rapidly our country is changing. And the hearts of the people are not towards God. They believe that the power is within ourselves to attain peace. And it'll never happen of ourselves. But as bad as it seems up to this point, most of us have not suffered because we are a Christian. To a large degree. Now, I'm sure that some of you have had situations and have had circumstances or perhaps you have been reproached because you were a Christian. And maybe it's even been family. And that can hurt. 
and those situations are out there. But by and large, we haven't experienced that too much. The next picture is a picture of some folks in Africa that they're at a funeral of some Christians that were killed by Islamic militants. Reproached for the name of Christ. This type of suffering has happened throughout history. Throughout countries and throughout generations, people have been, believers have been reproached for the name of Christ. But we, we know the stories and the testimonies, the accounts of how so many times God receives the glory. When, when people with unwavering faith continue in their faith and hearts are changed, Paul. You know, I have to think that, that Stephen had something to do with Paul's heart. These folks are suffering for being a Christian. And it produces what verse 13 speaks of. That when his glory is revealed, then they can rejoice. The next picture is Christians who are in China. And I can't, that's a really poor picture. But they're being removed from their church because they've been told they couldn't meet there anymore. And, and so... This was an article that was just written a little over a year ago. And are things as bad in China as it, as it was years ago? No. They're supposed to be free to, to be a Christian if they choose to. But it's, it's not really that way everywhere. And they, so they make it political. And they tell them, well, you, you, well you, they've got to be um, registered. They've got to be um, part of the three-self church. Or they're supposed to be. They're supposed to use the approved Bible, which has been heavily edited. And... And so on. And, and if they're not, they'll come in and they'll say, well, you, you can't have this gathering here. It's, it's, not, it's too big for this, this building or, or whatever reason. In hopes that they don't have anywhere else to go. And so they'll give them some time and then they'll force them to force them out. Because they're doing something, they're, they're illegally gathered. It's not like they're being arrested for being a Christian. But there's other ways of persecution. And, and we can, it's different. It varies throughout the country. <clears throat> Excuse me. Country. As you can imagine, even with our coronavirus right now, we've got different levels of regulations and enforcements of the regulations. And so it is um, in, in China now. <clears throat> Some areas more than others. The next picture is a group of, that's, that's five pastors that, that I met. And there's a couple more pastors in that room, along with four of us that came down from Beijing. And, and that was a very small hotel room, and it was about 90 degrees in there. But these men, these men had spent time in prison. These men loved the Lord. These men were hungry for the word of God. They would rather share the gospel than work. And we brought them some literature, and I've shared with you about the one. He's not in the picture right there, but... He got one of those books that we gave him, and the next day we, he took us around some different places. And all day long he read that book while we were walking, just like people that you read their cell phones now. And he read that book while we were walking. And he was hungry for the Word of God. 
that these men have suffered and they've been reproached for Christ in ways that we haven't experienced. And I believe that that's, that's what this is speaking of. Because Peter was writing to a people who were being persecuted, who were being reproached for Christ. Verse 17 begins with the word for. I'm going to jump down a couple verses. We'll go back up. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? And this, this word for speaks of because or concerning what was just said. So concerning the suffering that we've spoken of, it is time that judgment must begin at the house of God. If it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? So he's, he's writing to a people who are experiencing persecution. They're being reproached for Christ, and he's telling them to persevere. And he's reminding them to put away the sin, to put away sin in these first four verses here. And that God is going to be the judge of sinners in verse 5. And he's encouraging them that it's worth it. And I want to read 1 Corinthians 11. Two verses. Verse 31 and 32. In reference to this verse. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And so, I guess... As it says that judgment must begin at the house of God, I, and, and then he, as he speaks of that suffering, I just I see that as some of that judgment that he's speaking there. And that judgment is a refining. It's a chastening. It's the beginning for, for us as believers. But, or you could say, well, it's the, it's the judgment of the world. As we're judged as Christians by the world today. And then one day, all that will be left to be judged will be them. Or the unbelievers that are spoken of in verse 15. The murderers, the thieves, the evildoers, and the busybodies in other men's matters. But I wanted to, to encourage you with in suffering in the way that perhaps you more often suffer. Because you don't find yourself suffering as these folks have so much, but we do suffer, right? We all suffer, and, and it matters how we suffer. It matters how we respond. It matters where we turn. And so verse 16 here uses these words, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. And I believe it's still speaking of suffering because of being a Christian. But it uses this word suffer as a Christian. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Verse 19 talks about suffering according to the will of God. 
Can you suffer according to the will of God? 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, speaking of the purpose of, of Christian suffering, who comforteth God, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Suffering is a battle for your soul. As Job shows us, there can be two responses. We can curse God because of the suffering, or we can praise God through the suffering. How will you suffer? Will it be, as verse 15 speaks of, as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer evil or as a busybody in other men's matters? Will you suffer as a Christian? Meaning to respond like Christ responded in verse 1. The sufferings of Christ in the flesh, arming yourselves with, likewise with the same mind that he had. Will you let Jesus be your strength? Looking up to him instead of around at the blackbirds of life. I wanted to read from Romans 12 a couple verses, but I don't think we'll go there. Oftentimes, the suffering that we experience is relational or, or um, health-related in a lot of ways. It seems like there's a, there's a lot of suffering. We just heard prayer requests. Verse 19, again, calls us to suffer according to the will of God. And so how are you handling your suffering? Are you claiming that promise that his strength is made perfect in your weakness? I want you to meet Autumn. I met her mom this week. Autumn's father died a year and a half ago from a brain tumor. And then early this year, Autumn was diagnosed with a brain tumor. They need your prayers. But you know, Autumn's mom has the testimony. She says, I have no doubt that God has held us in his hand through this time. They've spent a lot of time in the hospital. Most of us haven't suffered like that, but some of you have. Some of you are. And how do you respond and what is your testimony and what do others hear from you through your suffering? Autumn is suffering as a Christian and I am strengthened in my journey by hearing her testimony. This next picture, you just heard about him. This is David Gase. He experienced hypoxia. He didn't get enough oxygen. I don't know the details. But they need your prayers. He's in the hospital and things aren't looking up. They're monitoring him for brain activity. You can, as I read about Jace from his family, I was encouraged as I heard their testimony of hope and of trust. And God, through this time, I see them suffering right now like verse 19 speaks of, according to the will of God. 
suffering as a Christian. And when I hear their faithfulness in suffering, I'm strengthened in my journey. It makes my heart sore to see people of faith in difficult circumstances and to know that they're okay, to know that God has got them. You know, if you remember back to 1 Peter 1, he spoke of now for a season. It doesn't last forever. And 2 Corinthians speaks of this as well. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, doesn't feel light when you're in it. Those birds are really annoying when you're down with them. But if you can get up high enough and gain a perspective, our affliction begins to look light. Listen, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight, speaking of something much more substance, weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We've got to have that perspective. As we suffer in life, and as we, we're not meant to suffer alone. And that's the sad thing about what Phil shared, as people today are. But we're meant to bear each other's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, it says. I want to do that. And so as you, as you look for ways that you can share in another's sufferings, Romans 12 speaks of weeping with them that weep. I just encourage you to be able to look up and to gain a perspective. And it will, it will make things come, become, make more sense. They don't have to make sense. They don't usually make sense. But if we can see them from an eternal perspective, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I apologize. This is a scattered, a scattered message. I, I, I pray that the Spirit spoke to, uh, to your heart more clearly than he organized the thoughts in my head this morning. Um, I believe he has the power to do that, and if only one of you heard it clearly, that's, that's enough. But verse 18 now, he says, And if the righteous scarcely be saved... Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And that word scarcely insinuates hard or barely, not hardly. And so is it hard to be saved? Like on your own it is. It's impossible to be saved. It's, it's not just hard, it's impossible. But there is a way. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's the only way. And I don't know exactly what he was referring to here. But I'm going to suggest this for you this morning. That the scarcely refers to the number of ways there are to be saved. And there's only one way. And it's Jesus Christ. And it's his blood to cover your sins. And if the righteous scarcely be saved. Where shall the, the uh, sinner and ungodly appear? Those from verse 15. So know this, if you're weary this morning from 
blackbirds in life. If you've experienced suffering and you've totally lost your focus, it's totally distracted you, it's confused you, and you're not even sure where to look, look up. Jesus is the only way to understand this life. We've got to trust him. And as verse 19 says, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him. Commit the keeping of your soul to him. Commit the salvation of your soul to him. Commit the keeping of your soul to him in well-doing, knowing that he's going to do it right, to do it well. And I hear in those words, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Commit the keeping of your soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. He is faithful, and he will finish what he started in you. Believe it this morning. Look up, gain perspective, and then suffer according to the will of God as a Christian for this purpose, to give him glory and have a song.